Chapter 19 of Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert de Saint-Amand Translated by Elizabeth G. Martins Chapter 19 The Invasion of the Tuileries It is nearly four o'clock in the afternoon. The invasion of the Tuileries is beginning. Let us glance at the palace and get a notion of the apartments through which the crowd are about to rush on approaching it by way of the carousel one comes first to the three courtyards that of the princess in front of the pavilion of flora the royal court before the pavilion of the horloge and the swiss court before the pavilion of marsan the assailants enter by the royal court pass into the palace through the vestibule of the horloge pavilion and climb the great staircase on the left of this are the large apartments of the first story. 1. The Hall of the Hundred Swiss, the future Hall of the Marshals. 2. The Hall of the Guards, the future Hall of the First Council. 3. The King's Antechamber, the future Salon de Apollon. 4. The State Bedchamber, the future Throne Room. 5. The King's Grand Cabinet called later the salon louis the fourteenth six the gallery of diana there are a battalion or two companies of gendarmes in the palace as well as the guards then on duty and those they had relieved but as no orders are given to these troops they either break their ranks or fraternize with the enemy no obstacle no resistance is offered and nobody defends the apartments the assailants who have taken a cannon as far as the first story enter the hall of the hundred swiss whose doors are neither locked nor barricaded they penetrate into the hall of the guards with the same ease but when they try to make their way into the old de Boeuf, or king's antechamber the locked door of this apartment arrests their progress this exasperates them and one of the panels is soon broken where is louis the sixteenth when the invasion begins in his bedroom with his family it communicates with the grand cabinet and has windows commanding a view of the garden monsieur acloqui chief of the second legion of the national guard and a faithful royalist hastens to the king by way of the little staircase leading from the prince's court to the royal chamber in order to tell him what has happened he finds the door locked he knocks gives his name urgently demands admittance and obtains it he advises louis the sixteenth to show himself to the people the king whom no peril has ever frightened does not hesitate to follow this advice the queen wishes to accompany her husband but she is opposed in this and forcibly drawn into the dauphin's chamber which is near that of louis the sixteenth 
happier than the queen these are her own words madame elizabeth finds nobody to tear her from the king she takes hold of the skirts of her brother's coat nothing could separate them louis the sixteenth passes into the great cabinet thence into the state bedchamber and through it into the oule de boeuf where he will presently receive the crowd he is surrounded at this moment by madame elizabeth three of his ministers messieurs de Beaulieu, de la jarde and terrier de Montcel, the old marshal de mochu chevalier de Connel, monsieur hervelli monsieur guengourlet lieutenant-colonel of the unmounted gendarmes and monsieur vainfraz also an officer of the gendarmes some grenadiers of the national guard afterwards arrived through the great cabinet and the state bedchamber come here four grenadiers of the national guard cries the king one of them says sire do not be afraid i am not afraid replies the king put your hand on my heart it is pure and tranquil and taking the grenadier's hand he presses it forcibly against his breast the grenadier is a tailor named jean lalonde later under the terror by a decree of the twelfth messador year two he will be condemned to death for having so runs the sentence displayed the character of a cringing valet of the tyrant in boasting before several citizens that capet taking his hand and laying it on his heart had said to him feel my friend whether it palpitates gentlemen save the king cries madame elizabeth meanwhile the crowd is still in the next apartment the hall of guards they are battering away with hatchets and gunstocks at the door which opens into the king's antechamber nothing but a partition separates louis the sixteenth from the assailants he orders the door to be opened the crowd rush in here i am said louis the sixteenth calmly i have never deviated from the constitution citizens says Acloqui, recognize your king and respect him the law commands you to do so we will all perish rather than suffer him to receive the slightest harm monsieur de canole cries long live the nation long live the king this cry is not repeated someone begs madame elizabeth to retire i will not leave the king she replies i will not leave him those who surround louis the sixteenth made a rampart for him of their bodies the crowd becomes immense it is proposed to the king that he stand on a bench in the embrasure of the central window from which there is a view of the courtyard other benches and tables are placed in front of him madame elizabeth takes a bench in the next window with monsieur de marcelli groans atrocious threats and gross insults resound on every side someone shouts down with the veto to the devil with the veto recall the patriot ministers 
let him sign or we will not go out of here the butcher legendre comes forward he asks permission to speak silence is obtained and addressing the king he says monsieur at this unusual title louis the sixteenth makes a gesture of surprise yes monsieur goes on legendre listen to us it is your duty to listen to us you are a traitor you have always deceived us and you deceive us still the measure is full and the people are tired of being made your laughing-stock the insolent butcher who calls himself the agent of the people then reads a pretended petition which is a mere tissue of recriminations and threats louis the sixteenth listens with imperturbable sang-froid he answers simply i will do what the constitution and the decrees ordain that i shall do the noise begins anew it is a rain a hail of insults some individuals mistake madame elizabeth for marie antoinette her equerry monsieur de saint pardon throws himself between her and the furious wretches who cry ah there is the austrian woman we must have the austrian and undeceives them by naming her why did you not allow them to believe i am the queen says the courageous princess perhaps she might have averted a greater crime and putting aside a bayonet which almost touches her breast take care monsieur she says gently you might hurt somebody and i'm sure you would be sorry to do that the shouts redouble the confusion becomes terrible it is with great difficulty that some grenadiers of the national guard defend the embrasure of the window where louis the sixteenth still stands immovable on his bench mingled with the crowd there are inoffensive persons who have come merely out of curiosity and even honest men who sincerely pity the king but there are tigers and assassins as well one of them armed with a club ending in a sword-blade tries to thrust it into the king's heart the grenadiers parry the blow with their bayonets a market porter struggles long to reach louis the sixteenth against whom he brandishes a sabre several times the wretched monarch seeks to address the crowd his voice is lost in the uproar a municipal official monsieur mouchette hoisting himself on the shoulders of two persons demands by voice and gesture a moment's silence for the king and for himself vain efforts the vociferations of the crowd only increase here comes a long pole on the end of which is a phrygian cap a bonnet rouge the pole is inclined towards monsieur mouchette monsieur mouchette takes the cap and presents it to the king who to please the crowd puts it on his head is it possible that man on a bench with the ignoble cap of a galley slave on his head surrounded by a drunken and tattered rabble who vomit filthy language that man the king of france and navarre the most christian king louis the sixteenth go back to the day of the coronation june eleventh seventeen seventy five it is just seventeen years and nine days ago do you remember the cathedral of rheims 
luminous glittering the cardinals ministers and marshals of france the red ribbons the blue ribbons the lay peers with their vests of cloth of gold their violet ducal mantles lined with ermine the clerical peers with cope and cross do you remember the king taking charlemagne's sword in his hand and then prostrating himself before the altar on a great kneeling cushion of velvet sewn with golden lilies do you see him vested by the grand chamberlain with the tunic the dalmatica and the ermine-lined mantle which represents the vestments of a sub-deacon deacon and priest because the king is not merely a sovereign but a pontiff do you see him seizing the royal sceptre that golden sceptre set with oriental pearls and carvings representing the great carlovingian emperor on a throne adorned with lions and eagles do you remember the pealing of the bells the chords of the organ the blare of trumpets the clouds of incense the birds flying in the nave and now instead of the coronation the pillory instead of the crown the hideous red cap instead of hymns and murmurs of admiration and respect insults the buffoonery of the fish market shouts of contempt and hatred threats of murder ah the time is not far distant when a conventionist will break the vial containing the sacred oil on the pavement of the abbey of st remy how slippery is the swift descent the fatal descent by which a sovereign who disarms himself glides down from the heights of power and glory to the depths of opprobrium and sorrow there he is not content with putting the red bonnet on his head he keeps it there and mumming in the jacobin coiffure he cries long live the nation the crowd finds the spectacle amusing a national guard to whom someone has passed a bottle of wine offers the complaisant king a drink perhaps the wine is poisoned no matter louis the sixteenth takes a glass of it while all this is going on two deputies isnard and vergano present themselves citizens says the first i am isnard a deputy if what you demand were at once granted it might be thought you extorted it by force in the name of the law and the national assembly i ask you to respect the constituted authorities and retire the national assembly will do justice i will aid thereto with all my power you shall obtain satisfaction i answer for it with my head but go away Bergano follows him with similar remarks neither is listened to nobody departs it is six in the evening for two hours one man exposed to every insult has held his own against the multitude at last petion arrives wearing his mayor's scarf the crowd draws back sire says he i have just this instant learned the situation you were in that is very astonishing returns louis the sixteenth for it has lasted two hours sire truly i was ignorant that there was trouble at the palace as soon as i was informed i hastened to your side but you have nothing to fear 
I answer for it that the people will respect you. I fear nothing, replies the king. Moreover, I have not been in any danger, since I was surrounded by the National Guard. Pétion, like Pontius Pilate, pretends indifference. A municipal officer, Monsieur Champion, reminds him of his duties and says with firmness, Order the people to retire. Order them in the name of the law. We are threatened with great danger, and you must speak. At last Pétion decides to intervene. Citizens, he says, all you who are listening to me came to present legally your petition to the hereditary representative of the nation, and you have done so with dignity and majesty of a free people. Return now to your homes, for you can desire nothing further. Your demand will doubtless be reiterated by all the eighty-three departments, and the king will grant your prayer. Retire, and do not, by remaining longer, give occasion to the public enemies to impugn your worthy intentions. At first, this discourse of the mayor of Paris produced but slight effect. The cries and threats continued. But, after a while, the crowd, worn out with shouting and hungry and thirsty as well, began to quiet down a little. The most excited cry, We are waiting for an answer from the king. Nothing has been asked of him yet, others say. Listen to the mayor, he is going to speak again. We will hear him. Petion repeats what he said before. If you do not wish your magistrates to be unjustly accused, withdraw. Monsieur Sargent, administrator of police, who had come with the mayor, asked if anyone has ordered the doors leading from the grand cabinet to the gallery of Diana to be opened, so as to allow the crowd to pass out by the small staircase into the court of princes. Louis the Sixteenth overheard this question. I have had the apartments opened, said he, the people marching out on the gallery side will like to see them. A sentiment of curiosity hastened the movements of the crowd. In order to go out, they had to pass through the state bedchamber, the grand cabinet, and the gallery of Diana. Sargent, standing in the front of the door leading from the old de Boeuf to the state bedchamber, unfastens his scarf and waving it over his head, cries, citizens this is the badge of the law in its name we invite you to retire and follow us petion says the people have done what they ought to do you have acted with the pride and dignity of free men but there has been enough of it let all retire a double row of national guards is formed and the people pass between them the return march begins a few recalcitrants want to remain and keep up the cry of down with the veto recall the ministers but they are swept on by the stream and follow the march like all the rest while they are going out through the door between the old de Boeuf and the state bedchamber the national guard prevents anyone from entering on the other side through the door connecting the old de Boeuf with the hall of the guards 
at this moment a deputation of twenty-four members of the assembly present themselves roused by the public clamor announcing that the king's life is in danger the national assembly has called an extraordinary evening session the president of the deputation m brunck says to the king sire the national assembly sends us to assure ourselves of your situation to protect the constitutional liberty you should enjoy and to share your danger louis the sixteenth replies i am grateful for the solicitude of the assembly i am undisturbed in the midst of frenchmen at the same time petion goes to turn back the crowd who are constantly ascending the great staircase and who threaten another invasion the sentry at the doorway of the old de Boeuf is replaced and the crowd ceases to flock thither the circle of national guards about the sovereign is increased a space is formed and he is surrounded by the deputation from the assembly a cloquet seeing that the tumult is lessening and the room no longer encumbered by the crowd proposes to the king that he should retire and louis the sixteenth decides to do so surrounded by deputies and national guards he passes into the state bedchamber and notwithstanding the throng he manages to reach a secret door at the right of the bed near the chimney which communicates with his bedroom he goes through this little door and some one closes it behind him it is not far from eight o'clock in the evening the peril and humiliation of louis the sixteenth have lasted nearly four hours and the unhappy king is not yet at the end of his sufferings for he does not know what has become of his wife and children while these sad scenes had been enacting in the palace a furious populace had been in incessant commotion beneath the windows in the garden and the courtyards people desiring to establish communication between those downstairs and those above had been heard to cry have they been struck down are they dead throw us down their heads a slender young man with the profile of a roman medal a pale complexion and flashing eyes was looking at all this from the upper part of the terrace beside the water unable to comprehend the long sufferings of louis the sixteenth he said in an indignant tone how could they have allowed this rabble to enter they should have swept out four or five hundred of them with cannon and the rest would have run the man who spoke thus obscure and hidden in the crowd opposite that palace where he was to play so great a part was the straight-haired corsican the future emperor napoleon End of chapter nineteen